everyone. Welcome to the February 2nd, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on local reactions to President Trump's first State of the Union speech earlier this week. Joy Bunch from Colorado Politics. Happy Groundhog's Day. Awesome. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome to the February 2nd, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on local reactions to President Trump's first State of the Union speech earlier this week. Joey Bunch from Colorado Politics. Happy Groundhog's Day. Oh, thanks for having me. You know, I thought the president's State of the Union address, it seemed like just a few moments ago that it was last year's State of the Union address or when he introduced himself to the American people. You know, I thought his address was uh, long on hopes, dreams, and goals and short on details. I don't think Colorado knows any more today than it knew a week ago about what the president's going to do and how he's going to do it. Amy Cook, the uh, uh, chief muckety-muck from, uh, <laughs> from Independence Institute. You can see we've had a lot of fun with the whole Groundhog Day <laughs> thing here. Uh, what, do you, what did you make of the speech? Is there anything to take away from it that you would have taken away from any other State of the Union speech? Uh, that graciousness is dead. I, I mean, it, regardless of, of what political party you're from, it just seems like there is a level of graciousness that uh, people cannot even embrace uh, enough to stand up for, for grieving families or to clap even politely for lower unemployment rates. It, it, it seems like with State of the Union addresses, it just doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. If you are on the, the side that is the opposite of the president, it could be Mother Teresa standing up there and you're just not going to show any graciousness. <laughs> Speaking of graciousness, we have Eric Sonneman, political analyst. Uh, is there anything to take away uh, locally or nationally from another State of the Union speech that we... We've heard different flavors of it, but uh, the, the, the speeches are what they are. What do you think? Well, I agree with Amy's point about graciousness, but I'd also modify it by saying it was not Mother Teresa standing up at the podium. <laughs> uh, I thought Trump filled the role. I thought he was presidential for that hour and 15 minutes or whatever it is. I thought he did, pro candidly, as good a job as I've seen, probably since Reagan, at weaving the heroes in the, in the balcony into the content of his speech. But yet you sit there and you're watching all this and you have two thoughts running through your mind. One is what, you know, he's an actor. We're in the second season of his reality show now as president. And, uh, you know, what an unworthy, fundamentally unworthy person is occupying this office right now. And secondly, you know that whether it was going to be hours later or maybe a day or two later, he would inevitably step on any momentum he had. Scott Wasserman, president of the Bell Policy Center, joins us the first time on the panel. Thanks for, uh, for joining us here at Colorado Inside Out. Uh, your thoughts of the uh, latest State of the Union address? I thought it was a unifying speech for Trump supporters. Um, <laughs> I think that it was striking the omissions in his speech, not talking about uh, the shootings that have happened in the last year, not talking about Russia. And I just think, you know, Frank Bruni really talked about it beautifully in his column. Donald Trump is the great pretender, and he pretended to be president uh, during the State of the Union. GOP gubernatorial candidate Tom Tancredo announced he's leaving the race this week, citing lackluster fundraising and a need to have more funds for the general election. Meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Kerry Kennedy secured key endorsements from two of Colorado's teachers' unions. 
Joey, this was big news this week. Out of all the folks that I thought would be dropping off, uh, as, as we've called in the show the last few weeks, from both sides of the aisle, the clown cars that are the gubernatorial candidates right now, Tancredo was the last one I thought would be jumping off. All the early polling, which I know can mean nothing, showed him with uh, a double-digit lead over all of his opponents. I get his point over only raising $75,000, but... I guess I just thought he was going to try to muck things up for a while. Uh, what's your key reactions to what we saw this week? I have the same reaction as you did. I even did a column last weekend that says money only matters if you don't have it unless you're Tom Tancredo. And what does Tom do to help me? He drops out of the race because he doesn't have any money. But, you know, the impact on other campaigns is what's most interesting. Who's going to get that vote? Who's going to go after that? And, you know, the, the um, uh, Cynthia Kaufman's campaign called me out on, uh, on social media about it saying, well, that column didn't hold up very long. But you know what is holding up? The fact that Cynthia Kaufman doesn't yet have a campaign or a message or, um, or any momentum at all. And she also doesn't have any money, so she also doesn't have any self-awareness. So who's going to get those votes that Tom Tan, uh, Tancredo has left on the table? Will it be Cynthia Kaufman? She's going to have to pull her campaign together quickly. But more and more, it's looking like Walker Stapleton's nomination to lose. Amy, uh, I, I, f I feel the same way that uh, Joey does about being Stapleton's nomination lose at this point, only because <laughs> it seems like over the years, Republicans have really enjoyed looking to be right, but not necessarily looking to win. But in this case, I think they might actually say, well, who, who's our best shot? And when you come out and say you have $750,000 in the bank, that's going to turn a lot of heads, I think. I think that, that was one of the... So I, maybe I'm wrong. It would not be the first time. Your thoughts? <laughs> so uh, I think it was the Colorado Springs Gazette that had the editorial that said, all right, let's just, you know, fess up and get behind Walker Stapleton. Here's the thing, though, with, with all of this. Um, for the first time in how long, the Republican primary is going to be the, the, the least interesting primary. Tom Tancredo has dropped out. I give him credit. He knows what he, he's a smart man. He knows when to say when, at least in this case. And so now you, it looks like this is Walker Stapleton's to lose. So, so what you have is the more interesting primary finally being a Democrat primary with Kerry Kennedy now getting the CEA endorsement. And you have Mike Johnston getting Sheryl Sandberg's endorsement. There's Donna Lynn. There's Jared Polis. I mean, all eyes are going to be focused finally on, on a Democrat primary that could face it could be brutal. I think you're totally underestimating the ability for Republicans to put drama back into their primary. <laughs> I, think, I get your point. The, the Democratic primary on paper is definitely more interesting. You throw in Noel Ginsburg, who's going to be a guest on Devil's Advocate with John Caldera, uh, I think later tonight. Um, it, it should be more entertaining, but uh, Colorado Republicans failed to disappoint. This is the party of Dan Mays. Amy, I remember. <laughs> right, right, right. Very true. And, and Caldera does have his own axiom yes. that he likes to say that wouldn't, we don't use in polite company. Although I could probably say it here and it'd be fine. <laughs> well said. Uh, Eric, uh, what do you make of the, the ramifications on both sides of the coin? Because as many conversations there were about what this has the effect with the Republican primary, directly you lose a big opponent. But on the Democratic side, I think there are a lot of people uh, licking their chops of having to be able to we go against Tancredo. This is fantastic. We've written the script four times. Now it's not as easy. What do you think? 
Well, first of all, I'm waiting for the next person to drop out. I mean, let's look at the record here. Uh, you know, Ed Perlmutter was the presumptive Democratic frontrunner. Mm -hmm. Gone. George Brockler, <laughs> even though he wasn't probably raising the money he needed, in many circles was either the presumptive Republican mm -hmm. candidate or at least one of two before Tancredo got in. Gone. Now, everyone sitting around this table, you know, for months has been talking. I'm not sure I totally bought in, I'll, but that we were looking at a polis Tancredo race. It's not lost on me that some of the people who are saying that aren't on the panel this week and found an excuse to be absent. But yeah, David's out of town this week. Yeah, I get it. In all fairness, Patty is uh, is at a memorial she has service. A good excuse, yeah. Patty has a very good excuse. She's at a memorial service for her father, who she lost in the last few weeks. So uh, should not be joking about that, but in in any way, there are ramifications on 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 both sides of the aisle. For the Republicans, yeah, Stapleton becomes the favorite, but I don't know that being the establishment guy, you know, a Bush, a Bush, a Stapleton, is where you want to be in this particular party at this particular moment of time. But I, the most boring event that is upcoming on the calendar is going to be the Republican State Assembly, ironically in Boulder, Colorado, of all places, in, in early or mid-April, because as best I can see, no one's going through the assembly process. They've all gone around it. Uh, you know, Tancredo was going to go through the caucus and assembly, but uh, he's now gone. On the Democratic side, I'm curious what the strategic calculation was on the part of CEA and AFT. You know, I, I get their hostility to Mike Johnston because of Senate Bill 191, and he's identified with Ed Reformers, and God forbid that you know, parents uh, and kids should have school choice or anything controversial like that. But uh, so I get the antipathy toward Mike Johnston. But to pick between Donna Lynn, Kerry Kennedy, Jared Polis, Noel Ginsburg, I got to believe any of them would be a more than acceptable governor to the teachers' unions. So why make one ingrate and three enemies? I do not understand necessarily their strategic calculation. It is a boost to Kerry Kennedy. She is running toward that ground as sort of the old line, establishment, constituency-driven Democratic candidate. Those haven't been the Democrats who have necessarily thrived in primaries in Colorado over the last 30 or 40 years, with some exceptions. But that is the, it's the vacant ground in this primary, and politicians run to open ground. Scott, it seems that over the years, Democrats have been smarter about uh, not getting, not making a real bloody primary. There might be a couple names in the hat, but then eventually it, it filters out there's going to be one person. Uh, and Republicans enjoyed the circular fire firing squad, and, and the, that winner limped into the race. It might be this year kind of the opposite way. While Walker's not going to walk, pardon the pun, to the nomination, he has a much clearer path at this point. And the Democrats, I don't see anyone dropping off this week. Uh, what do you make of the big announcements we've seen mm -hmm. from both candidates this week? Well, I've been thinking a lot about the strategic calculation that Eric was mentioning. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot going on here. I think uh, there's probably no greater enemy to retirement security for working Coloradans than Walker Stapleton, who's been opposed to a defined benefit uh, pension system, has been opposed to para. And I think the calculation that may be going on here is that there is no one that uh, CEA and AFT and a number of other unions would rather not see in the governor's office than Walker Stapleton. It may very well be that they think that Kerry Kennedy is the one to beat Walker Stapleton and that they think Jared can't beat Walker Stapleton. 
Stapleton. So if, if I, too, was asking myself, why are they willing to take this political risk in a Democratic primary? And I think it may be that they uh, genuinely think that Kerry is the better candidate. I know what this also means is that this means Kerry's going to have a lot more resources. Uh, and, of course, Jared's great advantage in this primary is resources. Uh, I think CEA and AFT bring uh, resources and they bring strategic knowledge that will definitely help Kerry in a primary. Sexual harassment claims continue to make local headlines this week as KUNC Public Radio reports claims against Senator Randy Baumgartner have been found, quote, credible. According to reporter Benta Berkland, the woman who made the claim learned the results of the investigation this week from a Senate staffer, and it was suggested that, quote, based on the evidence, there should be a consequence. Meanwhile, Colorado lawmakers and legislative aides started mandatory workplace harassment training on Monday uh, from the great timing office, apparently. <laughs> that, uh, uh, Amy, I, I know usually you, you lament that if you're on the panel, it's going to be uh, there's going to be some sort of police or deputy or sheriff story. So we made sure there was none of that this week. So how about sexual harassment in the Senate? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the, right, the floor right. is yours. Yeah. So full disclosure, for, for those who don't know, my husband is a sitting state senator. and Not currently I, with a complaint. He, he has, by him. the way, has okay. not had um, a sexual harassment claim made against him. So I, I want to make that clear. But full disclosure, I have no inside knowledge. So there's apparently a Senate staffer who told the woman who made the the uh, claim, or, or who made the accusation, and then who then went and told Benta Berkland, so let me see, Senate staffer, woman who made the claim, Benta Berkland, and now we're talking about something that's apparently credible and there should be a consequence. Um, so what I know of leadership on both sides, you know, whether it's Lucia Guzman or Kevin Grantham, two very decent people, I'm sure that they will take whatever steps are necessary. I have I, I have no no doubt that they will handle it appropriately. Appropriately, I really believe that. But here's what I would say overall. I think we have to be careful. And this is I, as a woman, I say this: be careful between justice and vengeance, and um, in, in, in criminal versus lewd or boorish behavior. The, I, I I do not think we want due process to 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 die along with, with everything else. Um, so I, I, I would caution that we just don't know. I, I don't know that anybody's even seen the report yet. So this is sort of somebody told me and somebody told me and then somebody told me. And so now there's a story there. And um, we, we just don't know exactly what's in it yet. And I just caution that, that difference between vengeance and justice and and. Due process matters, and I don't care if it's Steve Lebsack or if it's Randy Baumgartner or Jack Tate or Paul Rosenthal. They are all, they have the right to, to be heard and to present their own side and to not automatically be called guilty. I, Amy, I think it's very well said. Eric, do Republicans face uh, possibly a litmus test question? Because for the first few weeks of January, it was all about how Crisanta Duran was going to handle uh, sexual harassment claims in the House. And it was a Democrat. So how are they going to do it? Is there extra pressure on Republicans if they're going to <laughs> throw, if they're going to throw rocks from that glass house, that they need to make sure their house is in order? How do they do that? Yeah, I mean, uh, this issue does not know partisan boundaries. I mean, for every... Uh, poor acting, bad acting Republican that Democrats can throw stones at 
it, it goes the other way and the old line about people in glass houses. I agree that Amy, I think, stated it well. I will be curious, and I haven't followed this in detail. Well, first of all, I, I need to do, and I, I, I know she's not winning a lot of popularity contests around the Capitol right now, but Bente Birkeland with uh, KNUC is KUNC. KUNC radio, uh, public radio, Capitol reporter, has been the one driving this story ever since last fall. And hats off to her for some, mm -hmm. some pretty darn good journalism. I will be curious to see how Senate leadership handles it. I agree with you that they are, with Amy, that they are decent people. Right now, it is a very quiet behind the scenes process. Ultimately, there needs to be some public accounting here. And whatever the consequence, if there is a consequence, it strikes me that it has to be ultimately, maybe not tomorrow, but ultimately some public consequence. Um, and, you know, to Amy's point, we've talked about it around the table before. There are, and I think what is lost sometimes in the last six months, because this m movement has taken on such momentum, and momentum is very good, but sometimes it leads to a frenzy, is we've lost the gradations. It is all behavior is not the same. That's not to say any of this behavior is acceptable, but it is not all the same, and we need to make some gradations between what's criminal and what, to Amy's words, are just lewd and boorish, um, and even degrees both within those categories of criminal and of just lewd. Scott, there's some obviously very important issues to tackle that have nothing to do with partisanship, but it is an election year. It's a split legislature. Politics are part of the reality. Uh, how, how do uh, both House and Senate leaders need to play this, uh, and then how do the opponents play this so as not to maybe overplay that hand? You, could, uh, you, can, you can throw a rock, but you don't want the, right. the focus being right back on you. How do they go about this? Well, first and foremost, I, I want to echo what Eric said. Having lobbied at the state capitol for a number of years, it's a cesspool. And some of the behavior that I've witnessed and that my female colleagues have had to put up with is, is, really, is really terrible. And so I think I'm really thankful that this, this whole culture has been exposed and that we're talking about it. But I, I, I can't get past the point that you just you, you made a little bit earlier, which is I think Republicans have gotten their wires crossed. Um, we saw three months ago House Republicans going hard against Chrysanta Duran. Uh, suggesting that she knew there was a predator in everyone's ranks, uh, and this made legislators and, and interns and, and, uh, and everyone else vulnerable. I think that's exactly what Senator Grantham is now leaving himself uh, vulnerable to. And so I do think there is a be careful uh, to throw uh, rocks and glass houses uh, situation on our hands. I mean, I would hate to see this become uh, political fodder for the election, uh, but I do think it will become political fodder precisely because Republicans tried to uh, politicize this three months ago, and now the exact same thing that they're accusing the Speaker of may very well be what, uh, what, the, what the President of the Senate uh, is doing right now. Joey, you are a guy at the Capitol. You've, uh, you've seen how all these issues are breaking down there. What do you think of what we're seeing so far? Well, you know, Republicans are in an, an interesting position now. You know, if what we know, and let me also agree with everyone, Benta Birkeland has done tremendously good reporting. She hasn't gone off, uh, you know, off the rails on this. She's verified everything. Um, so, you know, I have no choice and no reason to have any position other than to trust what, what she's reporting is accurate. So now 
Senate Republicans have to figure out what they're going to do about it and how they're going to handle it. And the internal politics are as, at least as interesting as the external politics. And the internal politics are that Randy Baumgartner is a very well-respected member of the, of the Senate caucus. And he's also chair of the Transportation Committee. He was also reelected in 2016, so unless they remove him, which I don't think they will, he's going to be around for two more terms. You know, be careful if you poke that Republican bear. Randy Baumgartner is not a guy who backs down. So, you know, what, what you see on the outside is not nearly as interesting as what we're going to see on the inside. Let's get a quick take on this last one. Colorado's Public Education Fund will see $104 million returned after local property taxes were more than expected, as reported by Chalkbeat Colorado. School districts raised close to $100 million more than initially estimated, and since the Joint Budget Committee was split on whether to spend the money on roads or education and housing, by law, the additional revenue will go into the state's public school fund. Uh, Eric, it's hard to be quick on this one, but uh, your, your uh, uh, initial uh, answer to what we're seeing with uh, big education funding news. Yeah, no issue lends itself to a quick take, quite like school <laughs> finance. Uh, I can't quite figure this one out, and I'll defer to Joey and some others who are closer to the Capitol. There is a war going on in the Capitol. I mean, and, you know, it's a consequence of Tabor and all the ratchet down that we've seen for, for decades here. There's really a war going on between education and roads, and I think that's it at its crux. This money and the two parties are, you know, have different constituencies, and Republicans sign up with the road lobby, and Democrats, as a general rule, sign up with the education lobby. Um, uh, Quote from uh, Representative Millie Hamner, Mountain Democrat, uh, talking about how this is, quote, an important systemic, um, uh, excuse me, important symbolic commitment. I think there's as much symbolism to this 104 million as there is reality in terms of new money out the door and new money in the schools. I'm not sure this fight is about real money as much as it is about symbolism and priorities. Scott, your uh, quick reaction to the news we've seen, is this going to fuel the fires of uh, controversy? Or now that there's some money to argue about, is it going to make it easier? I think this is fueling the controversy. I think we are watching the cocification of Colorado politics at a rapid pace. I have been amazed at how, uh, how resistant Republicans in the legislature have been to acknowledge the devastation going on in education in the state. Uh, zero to 21, kids are bearing the brunt of our financial squeeze. They seem determined to, to bring a, uh, a budget crisis uh, to, to, uh, to the legislature this year. Last year, we saw acknowledgement that we needed more revenue from uh, President Grantham. This year, we see them actually wanting to reduce taxes. Clearly, somebody got taken to the woodshed, and the Koch brothers uh, want to see more hardline policies from Republicans this year. Cocification, not the first vocabulary yeah. word invented the table. Very nice job. Uh, Joey, uh, what are we seeing up there? What's your quick take? Well, you know, it's, it's another question to the same answer. And the question is money for roads or money for schools. And, you know, we, we were seeing an approach from all different angles because, you know, I think it's in the Bible where it says, you know, mow money, mow problems. And that's what we have. I think that's in the Bible, isn't it? I, I'm, not, I'm not religious, so I'm not sure. But, the, um, you know, that's where we are. You know, and we're all going to see this battle play out in a lot of ways. You know, this is a chapter, but it's not the book. And, you know, we do need money for schools in Colorado, but we definitely need money for transit or transportation. And I think that people see the transportation problems a lot more than they see the school problems. 
That comment line, if you're wondering, is jbunch at coronapolitics.com. <laughs> Amy, wrap it up for us. Uh, well, first of all, I want Jerry's Bible. I want to, <laughs> when you're cro- quoting scripture, I, I want to be able to pull up chapter and verse. Um, the book of Joey. So, <laughs> the book of, I think there's a saint in there somewhere. Um, so so uh, to, to Eric's point on an important symbolic commitment, when you're talking about taxpayer money, I'm not big on symbolic commitments, and I think that a lot of taxpayers would say that. And and tell that to the people of I-25 North stuck in traffic. Um, Transportation funding over the last, uh, since 1999, is down 9%. Down, not up, down. K-12 education is up uh, 49%. Thank you, Linda Gorman, for those figures. So um, there, there is... The, the crisis we have is not a budget crisis. They have revenue. We should be fixing roads, and we can do it without raising taxes. That's sound, the issue. It sounds like an easy issue to have consensus over. Right? I don't see any disagreement whatsoever. Let's go to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. Joey, you're in Patty seats, so you get to start off. Well, it's Groundhog Day, and which is fitting because my Disgrace of the Week is a disgrace I've had before. America, <laughs> you're disgraceful to me. And here's why. <laughs> is we have a president accused of an extramarital affair with a porn star, and it's barely a blip on the news cycle. And I don't know if it's because it's business as usual in the White House or if the media has thrown so much at this president that America has lost its ability to care. But either way, America, you're disgraceful. Amy. Uh, I'm going to say Colorado's regulated (laughs) monopoly utilities. I'm sorry, I'm laughing about Joey because I can't ever top it. I'm never going after him. Um, (laughs) They're not following the lead of many other states and voluntarily reducing rates the way uh, utilities in other states are. Low-income rate payers end up paying the price. Eric. The tag team of Cynthia Kaufman and Beth McCann, in terms of how they processed or didn't handle the compensation claim of Clarence Moses Elf, who we all know his legacy, 28 years for a crime, there's every indication he didn't commit. I'm not surprised by Cynthia Kaufman's angle on this because she's a Republican after all running in a Republican primary. Beth McCann, who campaigned as a reformer in the Denver DA's office, I wish I could go into detail, but is stiffing him and hanging her hat on a technical, oh, well, there is a difference between innocence and not guilty. But in this case, I think Clarence Moses Ells checks both of those boxes, innocent and not guilty, and ought to be treated as such. Scott. I want to go back to the Koch brothers' stranglehold on the state of Colorado. There was a bill in the legislature this week that proposes reducing our state income tax when everybody else in the state of Colorado is acknowledging that at the very least we should be using the money in our state budget. They're actually talking about reducing it. And the kind of rhetoric that we're hearing that is completely divorcing public spending from the needs of families, it's really shameful. Say something nice. The bumper sticker edition, we're under a minute. Joey. Uh, the House Local Government Committee that took up a bill this week, they voted it down, but it would have been a bag tax, 25%, uh, 25 cents per visit to the store for plastic bags. Would have solved two problems. One, it would have reduced their Gotta use. Got to keep going, Joey. Oh, <laughs> so, but uh, the, uh, so Republicans and Democrats work together. You don't see that enough. Amy, your bumper sticker. Uh, Deputy Heathgum, end of watch. Rest in peace. Thank you for your service. You're here. Eric. Ditto that. 
my three panel mates here. They're not the usual ones around this table, but uh, I'll do this show with these three uh, and you, Dominic, anytime, and a good new voice here in Scott Wasserman. Scott, thanks so much for having me. Check out the letter that Uber uh, co-signed with Nick Hanauer and the head of SEIU in Washington State talking about the need for universal portable benefits in a future economy. Really important stuff. That is all the time we have for this edition of Car Rents. I wanted to give us some, some pretty cool this. We have the PBS Nerd Love Campaign on Colorado <laughs> Public CPT12.org. Is this not the coolest shirt you've ever seen? You get this when you join us at, at the um, CPT12.org. $5 a month. We send you the glasses as well. And of course, we know our branding, PBS Nerd on the glasses. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Zudi. Thank you very much for joining us. And of course, happy Groundhog's Day. <laughs>